Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome on Monday Gamer. It's been a while since we've had a chance to do this. I think Christmas is the last time. And really nice slate of games. One that I actually really two that were really fascinating but one that has i think a ton of playoff implications that was houston beating denver 125 113 denver stayed in it until about four minutes were left in the first half and then james harden went off scoring 14 of 17 points to end the half and houston generally led by about 10 for the rest of the game at, at that point uh, i thought the biggest interesting thing though and i know you wanted to talk about this quite a bit was the way the Nuggets started off defending James Harden, which in fairness is basically how they defend everybody else in pick and roll. Right. And I'm happy that this existed as an intellectual exercise. And obviously it's not to say that if Denver did this every time, the same result would happen every time. But really what they did in the for a vast majority of the first half until those final four minutes was they made James Harden a passer. They were doubling him pretty regularly when there was a screen. They would use the, you know, the, the screeners guy and Harden's guy would both follow him. And then they would bring somebody over to help and then hope that ever somebody can recover and, you know, go on from there. And so Harden only took two shots from the field in the first 20, let's say 20 minutes of this game. He didn't play all of that, but he was only took two shots from the field. He got to the free throw line a few times as he always does. And what it led to though was, so like you could think about that in a couple ways. So one is, you know, oh, you're forcing the other Rockets to beat you. And especially with Chris Paul out, that is a pretty good gamble. I mean, those guys aren't necessarily great, but remember, you're not forcing them to beat you in isolation. You're forcing them to beat you coming off a pass from James Harden, who happens to be one of the best passers out of a pick and roll or out of a double that we've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that we talked about extensively after the Christmas game against OKC. The guy's just unbelievable. Every pass to the role man is on time and on target. And now he has great size. He's got long arms. But he just, whether it's looping it over guys, whether it's a quick po- pocket bounce pass, whether it was P.J. Tucker throwing these beautiful on-time, on-target, behind-the-back passes right to him at the top of the key for open pick and pop threes. The pass is just there every time. He doesn't turn it over in that situation. Usually a more aggressive pick-and-roll scheme can force guys to, to turn it over. And Harden is just absolutely unflappable in these situations. He's seen every coverage. He rips it apart. And then he does, part of it is the personnel. You could say, oh, you make the other Rockets beat you. But if it's Clint Capella catching the ball perfectly on the move where he just has to take one dribble starting at the free throw line against the back line of your defense four on three because your center is already way out on the floor yeah it was Jamal Murray a lot 
Yeah. And and He's I think Jamal Murray did, did a pretty good game. job. Yeah. I mean, so Jamal Murray, I thought, did a decent job being the help guy. There were remember that happened to Marcus Smart. No, it happened to Isaiah actually a couple of years ago with the Celtics when they were trying to double and then it was just Isaiah standing under the rim and he wasn't gonna do anything. And Jamal's bigger than Isaiah, obviously, but it's a similar issue. Capella, I believe it was a career high in points with thirty one yes. thirteen of eighteen from the field and also five of seven from from the free throw line. I don't think he's going to get to the sixty five percent necessary for his bonus but he's getting closer you know he's i think he's over 60 percent now yeah. which is good good the, for him from the foul line that is from yeah. the foul line yeah well, from the field i believe he's significantly better than that and i thought capella did a really nice job i thought that you know one of the huge things in the early part of the game was harden doing these drop passes and behind the back passes to pj tucker standing at the top of the key and pj tucker was just drilling those threes no hesitation he ended up yeah, seven four, for 11. four threes in the first half or in the yeah. first quarter for pj the first tucker, quarter four, yeah four from three yeah and then he ended in the game seven of 11 every single shot he took was a three i think he had a couple from the corner later on but a lot of those were were above the break in the very beginning of the game and yeah i I thought that something else that bothered me about this and this is a parallel to a criticism i've had thankfully we don't have Hacka nearly as much in the league and me anymore but i get frustrated when a team uses an approach and doesn't think about the corresponding moves here so denver no problem whatsoever with them if they want to try this you know attacking system as you said it's what they normally do if you're basically going to double james harden every time there's a screen and you're playing the houston rockets you don't need to have tory craig out there because he's not providing as much value as a one-on-one defender because he's not one-on-one defending. And Houston, one of their biggest positives as a defensive unit, and this was true last year and it's true this year as well, is that they are very, very good at ignoring non-shooters. And so whenever Torrey Craig was on the floor, Houston's like, great, we don't have to deal with this guy. And so it it made life harder on everybody else. You know, Jokic still had a really nice game. A lot of that was also on offensive rebounds, but he's a monster. You know, Jamal, I think, when he was driving to the lane, gotten gotten some challenges. And also, I thought that it really deactivated Juancho Hernan Gomez. Now, Hernan Gomez is going to be marginalized in all likelihood when Will Barton gets back, whenever the hell that is. But I, I just thought that if, if you're going to go that way, this you might as well actually go that way and play somebody who makes your offense sing. And Malone didn't really do that combination. So I thought of your idea as well, right? And I think a lot of, especially on post-up guys, teams really mess this up, right? Where if you're going to double team, why not just put more of an offensive player out there? Because you put this guy, this defensive player, you're going to double team, get the ball out of the guy's hands. So maybe you go a little smaller and try to hurt them more on offense rather than, you know, going with like your Chris Dudley type of center, you know, even looking at uh, when teams would go against Shaq, for example, right? You'd throw out Scott Pollard or, or whatever, you know, Mark Madsen when he's on the Wolves. Or like, But then you're going to double team anyway. So why are you bothering with this guy? Why don't you just go with more offense? But I think the reason that that doesn't work as well as a perimeter player is that Harden is just so good in ISO. And so if you're going to go with a, a more offensively oriented player, I would have liked to have seen them try Wancho just to get an idea whether that matchup could work since this is the regular season. But I'm guessing that Harden would probably cook Wancho pretty good good and Harden might be the greatest perimeter isolationist at least in the regular season that we've seen you know certainly outside the three-point line I mean I guess you know Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant might have a little bit to say about that but uh certainly in this day and age Harden is the best and so if you don't even need a screen to begin with you know and Harden will just wave it off and go at his guy like you got to have someone who's at least going to make Harden work a little bit at the very beginning in, in ISO so that then you do at least force the screen to try to get a better matchup and now you can execute that double teaming strategy so if 
And I, I agree with you. I probably would have tried a, a more offensive approach than they did uh, for a number of reasons, including that what you're talking about is just helping off of the non-shooters. And I thought Millsap was a, a major problem for them offensively in this one also. Um, but I think that's the reason why they didn't do that. I'm not sure which is the better approach, but there is a reason to start, Craig, even if your pick and roll defense is going to be more aggressive, as you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, there is a reason. And I also would have liked to see them try Malik Beasley just to see. You know, it's, again, you don't have many opportunities to face James Harden. There are no other facsimiles of James Harden. So you might as well get the information while you have it. And there's a very distinct chance that these teams play in the postseason in whatever round that ends up being. But yeah, I wanted to mention, so the offensive rating when Torrey Craig was on the floor, 90.9. And remember, he's playing an overwhelming proportion of his minutes with Jokic because, you know, when guys start each half, that means they're playing a lot together. And that's, you know, it, it affects things. And as you said, you know, Millsaps was, was lower than like a lot of the bench units, obviously, but, you know, it was still better than Torrey Craig's. And yeah, I, I think that Denver will have to just kind of tweak this. And there are no good solutions with James Harden. Like that's part of why he's a special player, especially when you do not have a lot of just different different guys you can throw at him that you think can at least slow him down a little bit. But something, and I've mentioned this before, but it's going to be a very big point for me as we move into the playoffs. Well, now that it looks like Houston is going to be relevant again this year in the playoffs is I think teams need to work a lot harder to deny, to deny James Harden the ball, you know, especially if he gives it up at some point, because that wasn't as much of a problem in this game because the other guys were doing so well, but Harden liked his former teammate Kevin Durant and like his former teammate Russell Westbrook, they're not great at just fighting through stuff after that point. They activate and then they deactivate. And I just want to see, especially if you're committing to forcing James Harden to give up the ball, I would like to see teams work a little bit harder to make sure he never gets it back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he is a smart cutter, uh, probably more so than those other two guys you mentioned. Uh, but I, I agree with me, especially when he's out high on the floor, just making him work harder for it and just trying to wear him down. I mean, I, I think, the other thing you can say about Harden, too, I mean, the Nuggets did switch up the pick-and-roll coverage to some degree. They switched more. They left them uh, uh, Millsap on him. Um, then they went back to more double-teaming again. Then even towards the end of the game, they just went with the straight-up double before even a screen had occurred. They just brought another perimeter player to go double Harden and make him give it up. They had some mixed success with that. Tucker hit a clinching three off of that. But uh, there are also some possessions that didn't look as good for the Rockets. Um, but to me, I, I'm not as concerned about the Denver defense. I mean, you know, relative to expectations, because I didn't think that they were going to be particularly effective uh, against Houston. We knew that they were going to be trying this. I mean, I, I would like them to do a little bit better, considering that Gordon and Paul are both out at this point. Um, but, you know, they got a little unlucky from three. I mean, they gave up 47 three-point attempts, but Gerald Green was six out of 10. He was hitting some ridiculous shots. Tucker was seven for 11. Uh, so those were the two guys that really killed him. Um, so it's really more of a concern to me on offense. And you mentioned that Houston is one of the best that we've seen. P.J. Tucker guarding Paul Millsap in the dunker spot. He just blew up after the first quarter when Jokic had 11 points, and a lot of that was off of offensive rebounds, did five offensive rebounds. Uh, they really made his life miserable. I know he had 24 points, but he had eight turnovers in this game and only four assists. And so they're just able to help so liberally. They're not really able to get that DHO cutting game going because Paul Millsap's just hanging out on the baseline and P.J. Tucker is going to come over and help. And then whoever's guarding Craig, a lot of times that was Harden. And while Harden is a notoriously lazy defender, he's also a smart defender. And his laziness almost makes him help more because he just doesn't want to bother getting out on shooters. You know, He's kind of like, if you remember from, it might have even been four or five years ago now, that Zach Lowe article about uh, the Raptors 
using programming to try to figure out where guys should stand. They said, oh, well, you guys should help a lot more than they do. They ghost DeRozan, right? They'd say, here's where the computer says you should be standing on a given possession. Well, Harden kind of is that. And yeah, he could be taking advantage of, but he's guarding Jordy Craig, who in fairness, I think was shooting like 39% over his last 10 games. And his jumper looks a lot better than it had earlier in his career. But either the Nuggets weren't able to find him and take advantage or you know he's just not that aggressive of a shooter um now the nuggets will shoot better they were seven out of 29 especially in the first quarter i thought they missed some wide open ones wancho was one out of five he's been shooting it well beasley was two out of seven um craig was zero for three in this one one out of six total murray was zero for three he, he had some moments so so seven out of 29 versus 22 out of 47 you could very easily say well that's just your game right here and the nuggets at least did pound them on the offensive glass uh, with uh 32 percent offensive rebounds but it, it's a concern i mean i think houston does the best job of it but certainly if they go up against the warriors for example there just isn't quite going to be the space to me and that's why it was my hope that they would start wancho at the three get some more spacing You're, you have to play Millsap just because he's so good defensively but you just you can't have two non-shooters out there in a playoff situation i don't think so um and i craig i mean they've been really successful they had won five straight before this they did get harris and Millsap back into the starting lineup uh but and i think that's part of why maybe craig worked a little bit better because they had wancho in the starting lineup instead of Millsap. once you get Millsap back in there it's not going to work as well so um craig has been way better than i thought i complained that they gave him too much money that is not the case he's shooting it better this year not amazingly but he's been more of a threat and his defense i think has looked better he's been an athletic finisher as well like last year i thought he blew a lot of layups he's been actually going up and like dunking out people this year so he's been a quality player but i'm not sure that he should be starting uh against some of these really good teams here a couple other things from from this game that were notable to me one a couple of those Jokic turnovers came in sequence i think it was at the end of the first it might have been the second on on passes to the interior one was on an outlet he just threw it a little bit too far and then the next one on the next possession down the floor he tried to throw it it was interesting i've never seen a post player throw an entry pass like this because it's one of those where i've heard post players talk about how hard it is to catch where it's like a straight line going basically right at the baseline and so it was just a little bit too high and ended up going out of bounds and so Jokic got a little bit frustrated I think he had a foul right around then also I cracked up a lot when Jokic was going at was going at Harden and there was a point when they were doing that because Harden was in you know a little bit of foul trouble and Harden is going to go for the strip every single time it's just kind of whether he can time it right and I don't recall Harden ever getting called for foul but you could make an argument that Jokic was called for two fouls because of Harden defending him in the post. The first was, I think Jokic caught him with an elbow, you know, one of those type of plays without a smaller guy can get a foul call. Yeah, he, th- he threw him out of the way before yeah, you threw him out of the, the way. Came in, yeah. And then I think it was like three, four minutes later, Harden stripped Jokic and then Jokic got a frustration foul in transition, you know, those types of plays. So it was completely logical that Jokic would go after that. It was completely logical that he would get frustrated when it wasn't working as well. But I, I think that ended up being kind of important. Yeah, and while you could say there's some hope in in just the three-point shooting being different in in these games, Tucker, Capella, and Harden were all plus 20 or better, and it was really only the benches. Monte Morris had another awesome game with 21 points on 14 shooting possessions uh, and five assists. It was really the benches, but when Gordon and Paul are back, that bench advantage won't be nearly as large. So I'm still very interested to see what Malone is going to do here once Will Barton comes back as well. And how are you going to manage the minutes of Hernan Gomez and Trey Lyles? I mean, I think Trey Lyles should just be out of the rotation at that point. And then you can play Wancho as the primary backup for at least give him all those minutes. Um, You know, Beasley played 26 minutes tonight. You know, they they went with a lot more bench guys because those guys are 
having a little more success. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really difficult for Malone to manage things. He has not have the greatest record in his career of doing that. I'm a little worried about how all of that is going to go. And Harden, when he had that ridiculous streak where he had, I think, 10 points over the span of maybe three or four possessions, he hit two threes, and then he also just broke Jamal Murray's ankles and then got a four-point play right afterwards as Murray desperately tried to recover. We talked about this as one of the big question marks going into last season's playoffs is just, is James Harden's step-back three going to go in in the playoffs? It went in most of the year last year, even when in their regular season games against the Warriors. It went in, obviously, in that crazy game on Thursday night that he won with maybe the shot of the year against the Warriors. But it's never really got in for him in the playoffs. Is that going to change this year? Is he going to be tired? Uh, who knows? And then I think another thing, too, I would say 15 of Harden's 18 field goal attempts in this game were three-pointers. And you know, many of them, of course, of the step back variety was 6 out of 15. Did get to the foul line for 12 out of 15. And so you know some of those are drives. He had 14 assists. A lot of that's occurring on drives as well. But maybe you especially with him getting older, especially with this huge load that he has to carry at 40 minutes again tonight. Maybe you say, hey, we're going to try and make him drive. That's going to be our number one strategy. The Jazz employed that early in the playoffs, very extreme. And then uh, later on, earlier in this season, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job of kind of staying on his hip and saying, hey, you know, we're going to let you drive, but it's going to be to your right. And we're just going to have to rotate out of that. And we're going to tire you out because you're going to the basket every time instead of double teaming you, letting you just slice this up with a pass or just kind of dribble the clock out for 15 seconds seconds and then shoot a step back it, we need we want to make you work every offensive possession I, I think there's something to be said for that but i mean we're just not going to know what james harden we're going to get in the playoffs until it happens but uh it's going to be fascinating if he makes that shot in the playoffs uh, and you know the rockets can maybe get one more piece in terms of reinforcements and uh maybe they're right there again they might be and this game was also another reminder for me of just how tough it is to play against the rockets because of the, the fa- denver had this series where they fouled houston three-point shooters a couple times and you know you want to get out there you really want to contest and like there was one on on monte morris where he just kind of caught i i think it was gerald green caught his foot a little bit and i was happened to be watching the denver feed and the announcers were frustrated by it but i mean he was in the landing area you know it's the way the the way the game is being called right now and it's tough i mean you're you're going to to have to be there but not be there enough to get a foul because the houston guys are very aware of drawing those fouls even without eg and chris paul on the floor so denver you know that'll be a big adjustment and they're going to be making the playoffs for the first time I'm still completely expect them to be in I'm real excited for it but it, it is going to be a different animal and I'm I'm wondering what that is going to look like before we move on if you have any other notes obviously we can do that but there's also there's also a little bit of news on each of these teams that we could discuss before we transition well well let's uh since we went a while here let's tease that sure. and uh, we can talk a little bit about stamps.com a service that you uh, have used quite extensively with your book absolutely and I mean we do a lot of more modern business the two of us because we make our lives doing a podcast and that's something that's been hard to explain and while writing a book is something that's easy to to talk about with people it's something tangible they can hold in their hands that created a lot of pro- challenges for me just because i didn't have the infrastructure or know-how to really deal with that much hard copy that i need to send places you know friends that wanted copies family all that kind of stuff and so stamps.com really fit that bill well they you could do so much stuff just through their stuff i had you know they gave me a scale i was able to print my own shipping stuff you could schedule pickups if you need to do that as well. And so to avoid all of the headaches that used to come with sending a physical thing from place to place, the, just the convenience of being able to do it from home was an absolute godsend. It was, it was great when I was working on that. And I don't need to thank, thankfully, I don't need 
need to do it as much. It was it, even though stamps.com made it easier, it was just something I, I didn't get super good at. But I'm so happy it was there to make it better. Yeah. And stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. If you're not familiar with it, you can print U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And the mail carrier picks it up. So you don't have to go to the post office. No more hassles. And you get discounted postage rates that you can't even get at the post office through stamps.com. And it's a fraction of the cost of one of those expensive postage meters as well. No equipment to lease, no long-term commitments. Right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Start the new year off right with stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in that familiar code, CAPSPACE. The Rockets now have a a little bit more, well, if not CAPSPACE, at least uh, room below (laughs) the next luxury tax tier uh, as a result of their trade that we're about to talk about here. But don't forget that CAPSPACE code by clicking on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Let them know that you came from us at stamps.com. Enter that CAPSPACE code. All right, what happened? So it was widely anticipated that a move was going to happen specifically on January 7th, and it did. Houston trading Michael Carter-Williams, they ended up doing so to the Chicago Bulls. And the reason why it was expected is because Michael Carter-Williams' contract was actually not fully guaranteed for his minimum. It was only partially guaranteed for $1.2 million, and that guarantee date is January 10th, like everything else. So the decision date was January 7th. So by trading Carter-Williams to the Bulls, and if you want a full breakdown of this, I wrote a piece for The Athletic, theathletic.com slash capspace. And basically what happens is by trading him as opposed to cutting him, Houston does not have to pay any luxury tax on any of Michael Carter-Williams' salary. And so that is a savings. Uh, Bobby Marks calculated at $2.6 million, which is a ton of money. And they, so as a part of it, they did not send any draft pick compensation or players to the Chicago Bulls. Instead, they gave the Chicago Bulls, according to Woj, $1 million. And so Chicago had to pay MCW 500, or sorry, 366000 And if they sent them a million, that means about 634000 in profit to the Bulls. Each team can send and receive separately $5.2 million in deals. This now means that Houston has, I believe, $2.2 million left because they already used a fair portion in the Onowaku deal. So for the Bulls, they get some money. You know, that doesn't, they don't get picks or anything like that. And for Houston, they just save a bunch of money. And so that's why it makes sense for them. Other Rockets news, looking like the end of January, that they're going to bring Chris Paul back uh, per Mike D'Antoni. And that seems like a great idea to just take absolutely forever. Now, we were worried when he got hurt again in Miami that, well, they're going to just desperately need him back to make the playoffs. But now with this incredible Harden explosion, that's no longer a concern, really. So they can take it, their time a little bit. Also getting Austin Rivers, who it didn't have a great game tonight, but has had some nice games and just at least can soak up some minutes. He played 40 minutes tonight. I think he was 42 the other night, too. Um, so uh, there's not as much uh, of a need to rush Paul back. I mean, he's just got, they have to do everything that they possibly can and then when he's ready to come back wait two more weeks basically and let that thing heal uh because they just cannot afford for him to get a, another hamstring injury um for the bulls end of that they also waived uh marshawn brooks to clear the roster spot necessary for that carter williams trade and of course they have already waived carter williams uh which they had to do before five eastern today for denver mike malone said that he hopes to have will barton back in the next couple of weeks it seemed like his return was imminent for some time. Denver is not exactly open with injuries. 
Uh, and maybe Barton had some kind of a setback. Maybe it just didn't make sense that he was going to be back this early. I mean, he did have a surgery on that groin. And so, you know, it seemed like middle of December was a little optimistic for him. I mean, remember he suffered that injury. Uh, I think it was in the third game of the season back in October, but it's, it's looking like it's going to be pretty close to three months here by the time he's able to return. Um, what else we got here? Unfortunately for us, because the Knicks are playing the Warriors on Tuesday, Mitchell Robinson suffered a subsequent injury. He tweaked his groin during his ankle rehab. So he's going to be out longer. We haven't heard a timeline on it. It doesn't seem like it's super severe, but it just pushes it back a little bit, which is unfortunate. Derek Rose is going to sit on Tuesday when they play, I believe that's Oklahoma City, and then he will return on Friday. And then one that that was really kind of surprising to me just because we hadn't heard anything in a little while. Every time you get close to the, the recovery timeline on a player and you haven't heard anything, I always kind of try to keep my ear to it. Valanchunas has been out. Uh, the injury was about three weeks ago. I think it was a little bit more than three weeks ago when he dislocated his thumb. And it just came out that he is expected to miss another three to four weeks. So, you know, Toronto has been able to, to handle in his stead, though I do think the combination of Valanchunas and Lowry out while Lowry was out, he has since returned, was tough for them to handle. You know, that's that's a long time more to be without one of the parts of their center rotation. Yeah, it's not a huge surprise. I mean, he had the surgery, I think four to six weeks was the hope. Um, but that thumb ligament surgery, and that can take a little bit longer. It's not like the, the broken hand necessarily, which seems like more of a four to six weeker. So it's not a shock to me that it's going to take it that long. Uh, also, they waived Lorenzo Braun uh, with the Toronto well into the tax here uh, before his contract fully guaranteed. I wonder why it is that they didn't just trade him the same way that they did with Michael Carter Williams. Perhaps the reason for that is that they want have an agreement in place to bring him back uh, if he in fact clears waivers. And he's actually shown some things. He's been one of the better defensive guards in the G League during his time with Raptors 905. And so maybe they just uh, wanted to bring him back at, on some 10 days or in some way to, tr- to make it cheaper, potentially. Um, whereas if they had traded him, maybe that team would have actually wanted to keep him. And if they had traded him and then he'd been waived, they could, wouldn't have been able uh, to re-sign him, obviously, uh, under the uh, the Jerry Stackhouse rule. Um, That's funny. I always think of that as the, the Zydrunas Ogowskis rule. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's another one. But yeah, Stackhouse basically <laughs> said at the time uh, that he was already going to be coming back, I think it was to Dallas, uh, and and wasn't allowed to be brought back. Uh, Rudy Gay still missing time with that left wrist injury. The Spurs, we'll talk about their game against Detroit later on. Uh, he's probably going to miss their next game against OKC. They actually played two in a row against OKC uh, coming up here, but they did not miss him at all uh, against Detroit. Uh, Washington waived Ron Baker before his contract fully guaranteed. $171,000 cap hit, uh, although the Wizards have been playing the 2014 Chicago Bulls luxury tax dance where they go down to 13 players for as long as they can, which is two weeks before they have to sign someone else just to lower their tax bill. Uh, he played 45 minutes for the Wizards, and he was 0 for 4 in those 45 minutes and didn't score at all. And uh, perhaps a post-mortem on Baker's NBA career, he could get another chance because he's kind of a hustler and, uh, you know, there's he uh, has that reputation shall we say there's something about him that uh teams just seem to like but uh and if this is the end for him and and it certainly has been the end of that four year or that four million dollar a year deal with their full room exception that he signed in the summer of 2017 uh and one of the more likely uh player options that has been exercised uh they signed him to that agreed on the first day of free agency and after he had had a 7.5 PR at age 23 and like 46% true shooting. Uh, and 
I mean, that's the the disastrous time when Steve Mills was the sole guy with the Knicks when they did the Hardaway offer sheet, and then they also did that Baker contract. Um, you know, certainly the Phil Jackson period just before that was pretty disastrous as well. But junking him for Steve Mills for until Scott Perry came in, and, and I think they've done a much better job since uh, Perry came in there, much better than Perry did in Sacramento, incidentally. But I mean, that's just one of the, the most ridiculous contracts. And, and Alonzo Trier, who has shown a lot more in his rookie year than Ron Baker ever did, uh, but they sort of gave him a similar contract, not to use a free agent, but just because they were worried that, you know, not having any kind of bird rights on him after his first year, that they might lose him in restricted free agency. It's just very interesting to me how often bad teams it seems like they overvalue their own guys more than good teams do sometimes. Like, do you agree with that? Where it's just like, oh man, we're so bad. We just like can't afford to lose to, to get worse. But it's like, really, you need to retain these guys that got you to 25 wins last year or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, that stands in stark relief to San Antonio's approach on Jonathan Simmons, let's say, where Jonathan Simmons was a rotation player. And they're like, ah, we could find another Jonathan Simmons. And to an extent, they've been right. Utah, we'll talk about them in a little bit here. Uh, Marvin Bagley did return a little earlier, I think, than expected uh, from that left knee bone bruise, played 20 minutes uh, against Orlando as the Kings blew them out. Orlando, the plume sure is off the rose there. Uh, And the Sixers, their whole team is sick. Butler and Chandler have missed the last two games, but they should be back. But Ben Simmons is sick now. And then Mo Harkless started on Monday against the Knicks, but only played nine minutes and then did not return due to knee soreness. The, the Blazers beat the Knicks 111-101. Um, we can hit the rest of the news. Let, let's uh, break it up here and do another gamer. Where do you want to go next here? Oh, I think we should go to the other game that I was excited about at the beginning of the night. Ended up kind of falling by the wayside because of Denver-Houston, but Utah-Milwaukee was still really interesting. I mean, you have these Milwaukee's paint dominance has been a storyline of the season that will come up again when we do our awards thing because it was something I fixated on last month and going against the Utah Jazz who just happened to have Rudy Gobert. And so I thought that the matchup of these two teams and again, conference, non-conference, so they only play twice a year, their only game in Milwaukee. I thought it set the table for something notable and I think I think it generally fit that description. Yeah, well, the biggest thing is Utah came out right from the jump with Rudy Gobert guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo and they were not dissuaded by Giannis's three of five three-point shooting against the Raptors and Giannis was in fact uh, 0 for 4 in this game Giannis did have 30 points but it took him 30 shots to get there his shot chart and the Bucks overall was fascinating. Giannis was 11 of 19 at the rim, which is actually a very poor percentage for him. Remember, uh, I tweeted this out the other day. I may not have mentioned it on the program, but he's shooting 65% from two coming into the game against the Raptors the other day. And he is a usage of over 30 there's only i think 12 guys in nba history who over a full season have shot over 60 percent from the field and had over a 25 percent usage and it's like you know barkley Shaq, very prominent among those seasons and Giannis has i think either the second or third highest usage among that group and by far the highest two-point percentage at that 65 percent. i mean that is just absolutely insane so the strategy was we're gonna put either favor or Jay Crowder when he was in on Brooke Lopez. Just treat Brooke Lopez like he's a really tall guard, which is essentially what he's been on offense this season. And we're going to guard Giannis with our center and we're just going to have Rudy Gobert stand back under the basket. And I think that's the best way to guard Giannis, number one, because he can't physically overwhelm the guys easily. Although even Gobert, like 
Giannis started the game with an up and under and then just dunked on him. You know, I mean, he's just he's incredible to be able to do that against, you know, the guy with the biggest wingspan in NBA history, basically. Um, and one of the best defensive players that we've seen in a long time. But I think it's more important not only for just being able to stop Giannis. But also then to be able to maintain your help responsibilities as well. Because when Giannis doesn't have the ball, he actually becomes a little bit of a liability. I mean, he's got gravity obviously going to the rim. But it's very clear, you know, if you're going to have Gobert guard Brook Lopez... He's just going to be too far away to impact the room. And now Giannis, number one, he's got an easier guy to go against to the basket. And number two, it's much harder for there to be help when other guys drive to the room. So I think this was absolutely the right strategy. I think that they caused some modicum of difficulty for the Bucs. I mean, this is a pretty fast game. It ended up being a 114-102 Milwaukee win, although they pulled away late. They had 31 points in the fourth quarter, uh, but only 25 three-point attempts. For the Bucks, which is a great number uh, for Utah to hold them to that. I mean, the Bucks have been averaging like 43 point attempts a game, and they only got to the foul line 16 times. And now the Bucks did shoot 30 out of 45 at the rim. But the Bucs, you know, are not, uh, other than Chris Middleton, I mean, they don't really have anyone who can hit mid-rangers. They were 4 out of 17 from floater range and 3 out of 11 for mid-range. So I thought the Jazz strategy was very good uh, on defense. And, you know, the Bucs did outscore them, and, and the Jazz are going to have their own difficulties scoring a, against a good defense. Uh, but I, I like the approach, and I think basically any team that's got a center who can move his feet in the slice, I and mean, we've seen the Nuggets, for example, put Plumley on Giannis, like that's got to be the strategy until Giannis can at least hit a 15 footer. You know what I mean? Because if he, if Giannis can make the guy come out to 15 feet, then he could blow by him and use his quickness. But if Rudy Gobert is going to just stand under the rim then and just wait for Giannis there, then, you know, the fact that Giannis has a quickness advantage on some of these guys doesn't really matter that much. To me, the team, I mean, because Utah's obviously not in the same conference, that this strategy makes the most sense for is actually Philly because Joel Embiid is such a good rim protector. And also it can, you talked about how it can affect Giannis. Also having Gobert there, if Bledsoe drives, if Middleton is getting towards the basket or Malcolm Brogdon or anything like that, he is one hell of a deterrent as we saw. And so like, that was why you brought up how they really suffered from floater range. Three out of uh, three out of 17, I believe was, or four out of 17. That is tough to, you know, tough to handle. And so it makes life harder on those guys. And so Joel Embiid, I think is interesting there just as a capable rim protector. And you're losing so much having him on Brooke Lopez. And, you know, I've talked about the idea of playing playing a smaller guy and Brooke just like I thought the same thing with Ryan Anderson Lopez is theoretically a more complete offensive player but he hasn't really done that like I, I cracked up there was somebody I think I don't know if it was in the NBA cast or on Twitter or something like they're like well, aren't you worried about Lopez posting that guy up and it's like they don't do that like that's not that's not what maybe that's a counter that at some point will happen but I mean Lopez is an immensely immensely skilled seven footer and but that's just not what Bud has done with him so far another thing that I thought was really important in this game was Utah's point guard injury trouble escalating so Dante Exum is already he he had previously suffered an ankle sprain he's going to be out for a couple weeks so they were already shorthanded then Ricky Rubio scores nine points in the first four and a half minutes then he comes out with a right hamstring issue he's going to get an MRI on Tuesday it is not the same hamstring that troubled him last year in the playoffs remember how big his absence was in that second round series against the Houston Rockets so they played Hall Neto for 29 minutes I thought Neto actually played pretty well you know overall especially being kind of thrust into a larger role than expected Neto is good as long as he doesn't have to guard someone like James Harden where he's just going to get physically overwhelmed like in the regular season he's he's a a, right a reasonable backup point guard I mean he's not he's kind of like Jose Calderon light and the fact that he doesn't get a lot of three-pointers off but when he does you know he can hit him at a pretty good clip um and you 
know, he's not as good as Calderon was in his prime, certainly, but he's peskier defensively, and you know, he's a solid player. He's there's definitely uh, you know on, on a good value contract. I was surprised that he didn't get a little more interest in free agency. Agreed. Kind of similar issue for me with Shabazz Napier, who I thought was was capable and got and got underpaid. And so Neto, you know, he stepped up ably. I thought they did pretty well in his minutes, but then they just didn't really have any other options. Grayson Allen is also unavailable, and so you know that put a lot of creation on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders. That put you know kind of the team concept. I mean, obviously Ingles can pass the ball and all that, but Utah it, they just didn't have enough guys that I really trusted with the ball in their hands, and so it will eventually sort itself out. But I thought that was part of what I mean beyond Milwaukee having a very good defense. I mean, often a great defense that it just made life a little bit harder on them to succeed. Even though they went Utah went fourteen of thirty seven from threes, and you know thirty eight percent is a number you're very happy with. Yeah, in Utah, it's interesting. We've talked before about how the Bucks react so strongly to even you know not even penetration all the way to the rim, uh, but just the even penetration to the foul line area and so utah doesn't have the greatest ball handlers in terms of getting to the rim and finishing so uh, their offense in some ways is tailored made to attack this bucks defense because they get some penetration with pick and rolls but they're really trying to drive and kick a lot in the bucks that's what they give up in general so utah was able to get some pretty good looks from three they turned it over more than they would have liked to donovan mitchell another really they had some moments offensively and i'm very interested to see what it looks like with rubio being out now are they going to just essentially make mitchell the point guard are they going to start net i mean there's certainly going to be some times where he's playing without a point guard as he had to in the playoffs last year but 26 points but took 24 shots to get there only four free throw attempts then seven turnovers and two of 12 from two six of 12 from three so i mean to be inefficient when you go six of 12 from three is uh that's pretty rough uh, i would say for the Bucs, uh, Malcolm Brogdon had an excellent game. And, and we talked about how Gobert, in theory, could help uh, against Giannis. Well, the rest of the Bucks were 19 out of 31 at the rim. I'm sorry. No, that's wrong. They were 19 out of 26 at the rim, a great percentage. And Brogdon was a big part of that. I mean, he had 21 points, but was only one of one on three. So he was getting those straight line drives to the rim. He's a, a KG finisher with some of those reverse layups, the left-handed running hooks. Um, and then Lopez, they did a pretty decent job of holding him down in terms of his attempts, but he was three or four from downtown and hit a couple of just crazy threes one to ice it from like at least 30 feet he also had this step back just a one-on-one move on Crowder going to his right off the dribble I mean I I still I've said this before but like Brooke Lopez who used to be one of the absolute most boring players in the NBA to me now becoming one of my favorite guys to watch it's just like like one of the upsets of the century I was also really happy to see Thon Maker play well he was 18 minutes had a couple of a couple of decent defensive plays also hit a couple of threes in this one was plus five in 18 minutes Ersan Ilyasova only played 11 minutes and DJ Wilson was unavailable. That's a, a story of, of this little stretch of the season yeah. for the Bucks. And, you know, I thought their bench guys, you know, DiVincenzo was also unavailable. Sterling Brown played, but Sterling Brown was playing over DiVincenzo anyway. Yeah. And interesting, more more interesting to me that Brown appears to be playing over Pat Connaughton right now, uh, yes. who, who has played well at times this year. He has. And and so, yeah, it looks like they're, at least for the time being, we'll see what happens with DJ Wilson, you know, now because Ilyasova, the, the, the timing of this is going to be interesting. Thon, Ilyasova, Hill, Brown, and Snell were the only guys that came off the Bucks bench. And then uh, Quinn Snyder relied on Corver, Neto, and Crowder, and then gave Royce O'Neal a little bit of time as well. And so, you know, it feels like, I, I don't think Bud has his rotation all the way lined up. And of course, both these teams are dealing with inj- injuries. But, you know, I, I, I enjoyed this game. And sometimes I really try to relish those two times a year matchups because 
you know, probably not going to get seen in the playoffs. And so you, it's just like, okay, these teams have unusual strengths and this, this, like the, the severity of their strengths is part of what made this so interesting for me. Yeah. And I'm very interested to see uh, part of your problem with, if you're going to have a go bear or your center guarding Giannis is that guy is pretty much taken completely out of offensive rebounding because if Giannis gets the rebound and your center went for the offensive rebound, you're screwed. You're just whoever's guarding Giannis is not be able to, that center is not be able to get back. So, I mean, I think that's probably a good idea against the Bucks anyway, because Giannis is just such a force. You got to have a big back protecting the rim or he's just going to get right to the basket and dunk on you in transition. And the Jazz are, have never been a huge offensive rebounding team. And it's been part of Gobert's game, but I don't think they missed a lot in having to get him back uh, on defense uh the bucks a very exciting watch i saw them in person as a fan it took my wife to see them in november courtesy of SeatGeek, which guarantees every purchase fully the reason SeatGeek is fantastic is they save me time and they save me money when i'm looking for tickets whether it's sports concerts comedy theater whatever it is they save me time by aggregating ticket selling sites together so i don't have to go to a bunch of different sites and then they also save time and money by grading each ticket based on its value compared to its location and so i can look generally the area i want to sit in look for that big dark green dot click on that buy those tickets and i'm done in like 90 seconds whereas uh, i used to get so much fomo with tickets i would just keep looking and keep looking now i don't have to do that anymore with SeatGeek, if you haven't tried SeatGeek yet and they are the inaugural sponsor of the dunk down podcast way back in 2015 but if you haven't tried them yet you can get ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase via the promo code capspace today in the SeatGeek app which you can download for free of course that's promo code capspace for ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase SeatGeek life's an event we have the tickets and use that capspace code to let them know that you came from us we can finish up the news here in atlanta miles plumley has been in and out of the lineup but with knee issues he had a second non-surgical procedure on his left knee and will be, be reevaluated in two weeks uh remember john collins also had a non surgical procedure on his ankle so the Hawks seem to like that uh Plumlee with Deadman and Len healthy not really a, a part of the rotation he has not been effective this season Marcus Morris had that neck soreness he returned played 26 minutes against the, the Nets as the, the Celtics blew them out at home and uh, Robert Williams uh, played four minutes uh, in garbage time I believe with uh, a groin or returning from a, a groin issue what else we got here New Orleans beat Memphis tonight in, in a nice win they did so without each one i really thought that dealing. justin holiday trade was going to turn them around man i just well it's... there wasn't uh, the justin holiday trade did produce the time that i want i watched that game for about five minutes and it was because not only did they play justin holiday but drew and justin were actually guarding each other which doesn't happen very often it was pretty fun drew actually banked yeah. in a three over his older brother which was pretty exciting and yeah i mean i'll have some big picture thoughts on memphis in a little bit and don't want to spoil that for right now but yeah. uh, J- justin holiday 12 minutes after playing 21 minutes the other day uh oh for three so i think he is now uh one for ten as a grizzle uh he did have four points in this game was negative one but uh yeah giving up two second round picks for a guy who might play 12 minutes a game for you and eh, maybe not the best use of asset and then i mean a backup point guard the Grizz are struggling so badly i mean they shelvin mack didn't play i mean he started that year so wonderfully they've gone with javon carter who's a great defensive player but you know man he is really struggling on offense carter shooting 31 percent from the field and 24 percent from three in the seven games he has played so far in the regular year your brain doesn't work this way but one for tennessee was right there for justin holiday so far 
<laughs> but back to the, no, back to did, the Pelicans. It does, it does not work that way. It, it even took me like a second to get it. When I was like, Tennessee. Oh, yeah, Memphis. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Fred, Fred and I are cursed. And Bill Orum and a few other people. And incidentally, all of us are now employed by The Athletic, so our Slack conversation periodically gets completely insane. But uh, each one more didn't play with a quad contusion. And fortunately, Nikola Mirotic is closer to returning. He is not back yet. They have really missed him, though New Orleans did win this game. On the returning front, Kyle Kuzma was back in the Lakers' win in Dallas. He started and played 37 minutes. It, I, it might just be anecdotal, but it feels like Luke Walton does this all the time of like, guy comes back from an absence and he just plays a, a, a ton of minutes. And Kuzma was plus eight, but he was four of 20 from the field. So I didn't watch much of that game, so I can't say how he looked. But still, the Lake, the Lakers need him out there on the floor. He can provide something offensively, especially with LeBron James unavailable. Yeah, I, I could talk Darren, about that game a little bit, actually, uh, sure. while we're at it here. Um, you know, Luke had 27 points, but it took him 23 shots to get there. Only had two assists. And I thought Josh Hart, especially in the second half, really did a nice job on him, especially considering that Hart played 44 minutes in this game um and kcp only 21 i mean hart is a pretty good player and he was doing a really nice job on luca he's got a little more strength i thought that that he was a good matchup for luca did a really nice job denying the ball but kcp has been playing really well he's a capable backup like you don't have to play josh hart 44 minutes that seems pretty insane but the lakers did really need this one lonzo uh, was excellent although uh he was one of four from the foul line had some ugly misses there but he had a, a deep three four of eight from three uh but even you know for him to go four of seven from two is pretty good and he had 21 points that was i think his second best effort of the season then brandon ingram as the lakers hunted luca a little bit late uh, he was 12 out of 21 29 points but zero for zero from the three-point line so it's very clear that you know when he has the ball in his hands and he has a decent matchup and he can get to the rim this isn't a great rim protecting dallas team uh, that he could be effective there. I thought he did a nice job of you know being strong. I think that's something that he's really improved at it is going strong to the basket in his career. And even Mike Beasley at 13 points in nine minutes for the Lakers had some nice drives going to his right. And Dallas, their starting lineup has really struggled. Ricardo had some quotes after the game that they're going to maybe reevaluate that. Their starting lineup has a 97 offensive rating. And the bench, you know, which has gotten so much pub for being so good. I mean, the, I haven't looked at their numbers lately, but, you know, just anecdotally looking, I shouldn't say anecdotally, but it seems like every time I look at their box score recently, you know, the bench isn't killing people the way they were. And this is a very thin Lakers team. You'd think they would have done really well. So maybe there's some thought now that Dennis Smith could be staggered from Luka. I think they should try to give that a shot. And then the other thing that's killing them, I think, is that, you know, Maxi Kleba is better than Dirk Nowitzki and Kleba only got five minutes in this one. Dirk played 13. I think Kleba is actually better than Dwight Powell as well um so i i'm uh I, rick doesn't really have the option to not play dirk that's just not going to happen um but it's uh it's still uh not ideal i think maybe the fact that dirk is playing is part of why the bench unit has been as good dirk i think was like oh for 10 or something in boston when uh in his finale there the crowd was actually like rooting for him to score uh so i think, I think that's about all i've got uh, on this one. Oh, deandre jordan challenged a jump shot uh, for the first time this season that was that was hey impressive. well the you you brought up the Cleveland thing and I, they're not, this is the other thing that Rick Carlisle is not going to do. I would love to see how Kleba fits with the current starters for a little bit of time, just because that is impossible. Well, we possible. did it, and it was great. <laughs> 
uh, I think when when he started, they were actually had one of the yeah. better stretches. I mean, but I just yeah, I just want a little bit more of a sample of that because the, I mean that might be the general. I mean, contours. We don't know what Harrison Barnes is going to do with his option, or Wes Matthews is an unrestricted free agent, so he could do whatever the hell he wants. But that general concept of you know Luca more of a stretchy four, Kleba at the five. I mean that that would be a really good piece of data for them to have. And if they don't need to spend on a center, that has a, a few big big ripple effects for the summer of 2019 not saying that dallas is that's the decision they're going to get to or anything like that but that's something that i would like to see for them the rest of the year kind of connecting did you mention joe harris i know you talked about the the boston guys did you mention joe harris uh no no yeah he's missed some time with the sprained ankle but he's supposed to be back uh on wednesday uh but uh, kevin love uh, still gave an interview and this is real big here for trade season he says he's still weeks away from a return and he hasn't really started doing anything on court pushing off that surgically repaired toe so it sounds to me like he's he's gonna play like one game or two games before the trade deadline if that you know this is one of those ones where the trade deadline being three weeks earlier i think is gonna matter but i mean if you want to trade for kevin love like how can you do that unless it's just like kind of a bogut type of tank trade but he's he still has four years left on his contract after this one for 130 million dollars so you can't make that type of investment without seeing him back on the court i mean they're just uh, i mean there's no other contract that's bad enough that you could send back to cleveland to take on that risk of another four years at 30 million a year so uh i i mean i guess this just means that love is going to stay on the Cavs unless some team is really just like that enamored of him that they're willing to take that kind of a risk but i mean that is that is really really a sphincter tightener if you're an opposing gm to trade for him when you haven't even seen him back on the floor yet yeah, and Love is now, I think he's 30, so it's not like you're saying, you're going, oh, he's going to bounce back, he's a young guy, and he's been dealing with health issues, various maladies over, over the long time. Also, Cleveland is still without David Nwaba, their best defender, in my opinion, probably in most people's opinions, and he's still about a week away, so we'll see what's happening there. Sean Livingston left the win over the Kings with a sore knee. He will not play against the Knicks. Sounds like it's maybe more precautionary than something serious, but you know the Warriors do that from time to time. And then the aforementioned Cavaliers will play Indiana on Tuesday, and Indiana might be without Darren Collison, Miles Turner, and Corey Joseph because all three of them are listed as questionable. I still think the Pacers are heavy favorites in that game, but we'll see what if that group actually plays. Maybe it'll be an Aaron Holiday game. Yeah, Holiday uh, has been impressive uh, at times in limited minutes. What's we'll talk about about uh, San Antonio and Detroit here to Wait, some degree. Can, can I start? Can I start with the shot chart here because this is just—it's just so perfect. Like for for yes, San Antonio. Yes. Okay, San Antonio took 15 shots in the restricted area, 15 shots from floater range, 29 mid-rangers, and 23 pointers. So, I mean, the shot distribution there, I mean, and they also got to the free throw line 32 times, which is, of course, worth mentioning. But it's just such a Spurs chart. So you you think about that shot distribution, and you go, oh, yeah, but they scored 100, they scored 119 points and won by by 12. Yeah, and this was an incredibly slow game. So they put up a 128 offensive rating on the Pistons. DeMar DeRozan, 26 points. He was one of the less efficient players. He also had nine assists and uh, two steals and two blocks. We don't see too often from DeRozan. LaMarcus Aldridge was unstoppable. He's been playing just incredible basketball since uh, that miserable first month or so of the season. He had 25 points and only 16 shooting possessions to get there. I mean, the Pistons just had nobody who could guard him. Poor Blake Griffin against the Jazz. He was incredible. He was incredible tonight as well. 34 points in 37 minutes. Very efficient. Hit a 
ridiculous step back on Jakob Pertl in the corner for a three. Uh, and the Spurs didn't really have anyone who could handle him other than Aldridge, who was who okay. But Pertl was jumping too much out of the three-point line, uh, although Pertl has been pretty solid this year and he had some great verticality plays in this game. Um, Derek White is someone that we haven't talked about enough on this program. When he came back from that plantar fascia injury, he looked pretty slow and he was looking like he might be kind of a blown draft pick, uh, but he's just been going absolutely nuts lately. He's in the starting lineup, 35 minutes in this game. He came into this game averaging 20 points over his last three and shooting 83% from the field. And he had 17 points uh, in this was uh, a miserable four of seven compared to how he'd been shooting for the field, but he was nine and nine from the foul line. And defensively, I thought he looked good. Just a, like a lot of speed in White's game. And he, he didn't do anything from three in this one. He was 0 for 1. But just uh, I thought his crossover created a lot of separation. His floater looked really good. And it's just an impressive game from him defensively. He was moving his feet extremely well on the perimeter. Uh, but really, again, it was the Spurs bench that went crazy uh, as well. Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, and uh, Davis Bertans. Those guys really spaced the floor, kind of get to a little bit of that old Spurs style uh, back in 2014. Those guys have kind of been around for a while here in pop system. They get the ball moving a little bit more than the starters who rely on kind of more of the isolationists, Aldridge and DeRozan. So, I mean, the Spurs just completely overwhelmed the Pistons with a 23-2 to run that spanned the end of the first and beginning of the second. The Pistons, that's where they lost the game against the Jazz as well. They put, put up 31 points in back-to-back uh, -back first quarters and just end up getting work to start the second. They tried something a little bit different where if they're going to put John Luer out there, they always had him with Drummond or with Blake Griffin. Drummond actually started the second to because they just got so sliced up when Luer was playing pick and roll defense as the center in that game against Utah. And, and Luer looked a little bit better offensively. He had 10 points, but man, he is really, a, it's a struggle for him defensively. And just uh, this Pistons team, I'm not sure what else to say about them other than just that like Blake Griffin is having a wonderful year and they just don't have anything else. I mean, he had eight assists in this game. Uh, no one else on the team had more than three. Yeah, I mean, there were there were moments when, because this was the first game of the night, I was, I was watching him just sitting there going like, well, what the hell? else are they supposed to do and i mean they're starting not that he's i like bruce brown a lot but they're they're starting bruce brown he took five shots in 34 minutes reggie jackson you know he he's i don't know I, i've always i've always been kind of frustrated with him one thing i also thought was was hilarious well, well real quick on jackson actually sure. since you mentioned him i think that's an underrated factor in where things have gone wrong for the pistons i mean he got some fringe all-star consideration granted that was in the east and granted that consideration uh wasn't really very legitimate but back in 2016 16 and then he's really the last two years were ruined by injury and then this year you know he's just not the same guy anymore getting the basket not the same athlete I mean he used to be really he and Drummond were a devastating pick and roll combo and now Jackson is just a guy out there uh, I mean he's still better than Jose Calderon who is negative 18 tonight uh, he may not be better than Ish Smith so but I think that's a you know a, when it looked like the Pistons could be on the rise a little bit, I think that's kind of an under-discussed factor. I mean, not really on the rise, but, you know, at least to being a consistent playoff team, it's an under-discussed factor, like, that his health really just kind of eviscerated his growth as a player. Yeah, and that's a shame, and we'll see how Detroit handles that over the next couple of years. It'll be, a, I would say it'll be an important design priority for them to do, especially because they have a couple options at the two. We'll see how those work out, but that, that they can try to get a, another guard that they're happy with. 
with. And so we'll see that moving forward. But the other thing that cracked me up in this game, San Antonio starting five took a total of eight three pointers in this game. And seven of those eight were taken by Bryn Forbes. It's just such a great reflection yeah. of, of what this team is. And they we, you know, we'll talk about this in a couple of different elements over the next week or so. But their offensive success since like December 1st is just absolutely fascinating. I also think the Pistons, I, I would like to see them space John Luer out a little bit more. I mean, he's only he's 0 for 8 on three pointers this year. And I guess in his Detroit career, you know, he's under 30 percent from downtown. But the idea was that he could be, maybe be a stretch center and give these guys more room to operate. And, and he's, you know, been operating more inside the arc. And he's, you know, he's not really that good at that. Um, so and I'm just I mean, remember, Luer missed all last year. So it, and he's uh, making 10 million this year and 10 million next year or, or over that it might even be 11 uh, in another uh, nice gift to the Stan Van Gundy era in the summer of 2016. But yeah, he uh is not really an NBA quality backup center. And, and like we've talked about with the Pistons, they just don't have the depth here and, you know, really any kind of high level talent to me outside of Blake Griffin. You know, Andre Drummond is kind of, he's got some big strengths on the offensive glass and stuff, but, you know, he's, he's to me, is not like a real difference maker. One other thing I wanted to mention, I, I alluded to this before, that is the significance of January 7th is the players that were on non guaranteed contracts that made it through 5 p.m. Eastern are now fully guaranteed for this year. So that's a really nice step for some of these guys. Kenrich Williams, Alfonso McKinney, Quincy Pondexter, Archer Diacono and Shaq Harrison in Chicago. And there, there are numerous other guys, but you know, the, for, we, we like to focus on the stars and everything, but for a lot of those guys, they either took a big gamble or they made it off, off, off the fringe of, of a roster. And this is big money for them. Yeah. Congratulations to those guys uh, for making it. Not actually as many cuts uh, as usual. It seemed like, I think there are only like four or five. Uh, I think we hit all of them. A couple more notes uh, on this game here real quick to start for the non sequitur uh pop did go for his patented call an immediate timeout and take everyone out angrily approach it when they screwed up an ato and gave up a pick six to drummond he took out aldridge and derozan and didn't come back to them and, and until later on it ended up not mattering at all but uh Pau gasol didn't look great in his return from that foot injury although it is good to see him back um he's really just like not strong enough to post up against anyone anymore which is kind of sad to see for a guy who is one of the more artful post players in the nba for a long time and he even had a post up against bruce Brown and like ended up going to a fadeaway jumper like couldn't even back him down um Brown has looked good as a hard right-hand driver they've done some nice stuff to just get him the ball uh flying out of the corner on some THOs and get some points for him there but that's really about all he's capable of doing at this point offensively and then defensively is interesting I would have thought that they would start Brown as a reputation as a defensive specialist on DeRozan instead they went there uh, with Reggie Bullock who I thought did okay uh, on DeRozan but they actually went after Brown tried to have him screen uh his man screened for DeRozan. He get the switch, and DeRozan actually hurt Braun a couple of times. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, DeRozan is not even the size like some of the bigger wings, although he's very strong and has a high release. But uh, I thought that was interesting that Braun, you know, didn't look like he could handle him, and the coaching staff didn't even try him really on DeRozan as the primary matchup. So yeah. all right, I think that's about all I got on this game. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Brown on DeRozan as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think we saw it a little bit, and it yeah. didn't really work. Yeah. So I, I was, I thought, I thought that was illuminating. Sure. Uh, you know that maybe he's just not that good at that but yeah i mean i would have liked to have seen it but uh, more than two possessions but the two that we did see uh Tarosin cooked him pretty badly uh just get, took him right to the basket um with his size all right i think we're done here we'll be back tomorrow night 15 and 60 mailbag finally uh we will do it so we'll talk to y'all then have a wonderful day 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.